Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Hayes are here for this week's CISL talk. I got a really special episode coming up. Alejandro Oriana will be joining me here in just a few moments to talk all things cybersecurity and CISO related. But before we do that, please make sure to subscribe to our CISO Talk podcast. Give us a five-star rating. If you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe, turn on the notification bell. We post new content every single weekday and we are live every single week that you don't want to miss it. Our practitioner brief live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you're not following me on LinkedIn, make sure you go there because that's how you catch it live. Also, Make sure to subscribe to the CyberHub Podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform if you can't make it to the live shows as well. You can always catch it, listen to it on your way, going wherever you might be every single day. Now, without further ado, we're going to get into this week's CISO Talk, so make sure to subscribe, tune in, buckle up, folks. It's about to get rowdy in here. Here we go. From the CyberHub Bunker and Studio... You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Sometimes I want that music to stay on for like the entire show, like in the background, you know, because it's just like such a chill beat, right? It's a, it's a great intro. I like it. Don't you love it? Alejandro, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited and tell you to tell you my story and let's get to it. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. So for those who don't know, you're the CISA over at MicroVest Investments, right? Um, yep. MicroVest Capital Management. We're Capital Management. I'm sorry. I keep thinking because it's, it's an investment firm. So in my head, I'm like investments, but um, and you're 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 about a year and eight months into your role as a CISO, so you're one of the fresh ones. So we get to kind of talk about it from a, from a really awesome perspective. So I'm excited for today's episode. Before we kind of kick this off, though, Alejandro, tell sure. us a little bit about your journey into security. What was that like? So the journey was not a straight path. I think like a lot of people into cybersecurity, I didn't start in technology or IT or security. I originally started. I studied economics and math. My whole path was going to be, I'm going to be in finance or be an economist. And I ended up working in finance uh, fresh out of college. And I used to, I was covering technology companies and IPOs. So there was some adja- adjacency there, but I was just on the finance side, covering, analyzing companies. And uh, at around 2017, when the uh, Equ- Equifax hack, hack happened, I was covering, that's one of the companies I was covering. I realized, wait, I want to be on that side. That seems interesting. There's a huge gap in terms of cyber talent. Uh, you know, the whole financial media got blindsided by that. It was a huge, you know, publicized hack. And I just realized, you know what? I've been covering technology companies, talking to technology executives. I want to be on the other side. That's what makes me happy. So I sort of discovered it uh, starting in a different path. So in 2018, I, you know, made a transition. Uh, we can get into those what techniques I used to get in and break in. And so in 2018, I pivoted out of finance, even though I was covering technology companies, but now more on the operational technology side, focused on security. And it was the best decision I ever made. So I didn't start in in technology, but I'm glad I ended up there. 
So tell me a little bit about breaking into it. What was your secret sauce to get in? Because so many people are trying to get into security, right? Um, and th- th- there's a lot of different, you know, challenges that people go through. What was, what, what are some of your tips? So I see a lot of parallels between how elitist uh, cybersecurity is in other fields like law, finance, uh, banking. So uh-huh. I had already cut my teeth in that environment where it's very competitive. You know, people don't give you the time of day. You have to sort of hustle and try to get your foot at the door. So my approach has always been if, if it's very competitive, you got to have a connection at the place. You got to have someone that helps you have a relationship that you've mentored, that you've uh, nurtured. And then that, that's, that gets you an in into the organization. I didn't start with a network. So when I was in finance, I would just cold call people, cold email and say, hey, introduce myself. Here's what I know. Here's what I need to do. I love to chat. And I did that dozens and dozens of times. And then in that process, you know, so I was used to that in finance. When I went to pivot into security, I sort of had a similar strategy. Hey, I want to know, introduce myself to hiring managers, recruiters that are in that space and show how I, you know, the skills that I have can carry over. So I was work, I was doing a lot of data work when I was covering companies. So there's a nice adjacency to data and tech. Um, with some of the analysis you do. And so that was part of the, you know, the selling point. I had done some project management work that helps a lot, especially if you're doing security projects. Each control is itself a project. So knowing my value, my skills, that's how I was able to find a place that was get, willing to give me an opportunity and give me a shot. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a grind, but it's also a matter of finding a place that's willing to give you and, and, and believes in what you can do for them. So it's, there's no secret sauce, just hard work and trying to, you know, build a relationship with someone at that company to, you know, ultimately will be your hiring manager. That's been the, the approach. I can get into what I say in my cold emails and my cold calls and all those things. And, but ultimately it's been about building relationships and showing what I can do at that early stage and then use that as a jump off point once you get an opportunity. You know, you talked a lot about and everything you just said. You, you mentioned a lot of things that are not secret, that are basic, but seem to be sometimes missing for a lot of people. So I think a lot of people get very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, turned on by looking for that Cinderella story mm. get into somewhere that they forget that, you know, Cinderella is the exception to the rule, not the rule every time, right? It takes relationships, hard work. You've got to put a bunch of stuff into the business. Um, it, it, it's not exactly uh, cut and dry. Yep. It's not, it's not a straight path. And even if you do break in, you know, and you're looking for another job, it's still a bit of a, a process because you don't want to work for anyone. You want to work for the best place that's best suited for you, for your growth. So I think you're always going to have to, you're always going to encounter that initial resistance. People won't want to talk to you. You'll get ghosted, but it's, you know, understand what your value is and be very clear about what that that's going to be and how that's going to be helpful to a potential employer earlier in your career. The, all of our value add is, can you save us time? Can you lower our stress as you get a shot and you become more mature, more experienced Then ultimately they're paying you for your judgment and your decision-making. But in those early years, it's, what skills, but what foundational skills do you have that translate? Doesn't even have to be technical. Uh, and just being clear about that and then finding that one place that's willing to give it's, it's a matter of finding a place that's going to give you a shot. So you're going to have to go through a lot of interviews, a lot of rejection, but I think it's part of the process. It's part of the journey. So you talked about your journey. Let's talk a little bit about now you're in the captain's chair, right? You're sitting, you've got the corner office, your chief information security officer. You've started this from the ground up, right? You weren't, you know, silver spooned your way in. You weren't entitled to the position. You worked your tail off. You built relationships. You built trust. You built your expertise. You really put in the man hours, right? A lot of sleepless nights. I think, you know, I don't want to get into all the background, but if, I, if, if I'm missing, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, downplaying anything, let me know. But I don't think I am based on our conversations. I think you're a very... You know, you kind of spent 20 hours a day learning, trying to get up so that you can be in a role where you can be really successful. Now it comes time to build a team as a CISO. 
right? And now you're looking for qualities. So what are some of the intangibles you look for from someone who worked his way up to doing what you're doing today? So, you know, the technical skills, you can teach someone, um, you can get them certified. It's hard work. Uh, are you curious? Are you going to see an issue and raise it up and take ownership? Um, but ultimately, is are you a hard worker that's willing to learn and is you know willing to, to go through a lot of hard work to to get to where you want to be? You know, I, I, sometimes it's hard to find people that want to work really hard because early on you don't know if it's going to pay off. So you have to be willing to believe, and then you got to have a good manager too who's willing to invest in you. But from the other side, do you have someone that is going to make your life easier as you, um, you know, as you give them responsibility? And do they have that curiosity to solve to, to solve problems? Are you a problem solver? That's the one thing that saved me in my career. I love solving problems. My boss would come to me, "Hey, we have this problem. Got it, boss. I'll fix it." <laughs> and right, that was always my attitude. You know, one of the best advice I got early on when I was in finance is. Fresh out of school, senior person told me, you got to have an attitude of service. Um, you know, what are you doing uh, for your team, for your manager to make their lives easier and constantly just be, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do it for you. Be eager to do work and get responsibility. Uh, the title doesn't matter as much as rather responsibility because that's how you get the skills. And maybe you'll make mistakes, uh, but then as you, you know, as you go through those uh as you see different patterns and different mistakes you make and different experiences, that's how you get experience. That's how your judgment grows. So someone who's willing to work hard and someone who, you know, Hey, are you a problem solver? That's, that's key. Can you solve a problem? Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about problem solving and security. I like to kind of, you know, your, your, your wounds are still fresh on your body. Right. And I think as a CISO, there's a, uh, we have a different approach to people we're willing to give a chance to based on how old our wounds are on our body, right? And yours are fairly fresh. You know, they're three, four, five years old. You still know, you still remember, you know, looking at that person across from you and that person being you, right? There's there's a different level of, I think, approach than someone who's been a sister for 10, 15 years and is looking at the person and he's now got the wounds have healed up. And his new scars are people who he's given a chance to who didn't work out, right? That cost him money, that cost him a bunch of different things that brought around, you know, kind of the, those challenges. It's uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because that's very different, I think, and very unique. And and I attribute it to your battle wounds. Your battle wounds are still fresh. Yeah, we have I have plenty of uh, scar tissue. <laughs> uh, the, um, you know, some of the based on you know the work that you and some of your colleagues do in the community you know helping people break in i see a lot of parallels like it's not the issues the challenges we all face trying to break in they're not unique to cybersecurity nope. it's it, it's it's really any industry will have some uh gatekeepers that try to keep you or sort of preconceived notions about who who gets to come in so it's it's part of life it, it's it's not specific to cybersecurity um but it's, you know, you do have to be willing to work hard. And once someone gives you the opportunity, when I got the opportunity, I just ran with it. I knocked it out of the park and worked extremely hard because I knew that my boss had given me an opportunity who took a chance in me. So I wanted to ultimately make them look good in front of, you know, his manager and the CEO because they took a risk in me. So that's how I, I try to pay it back, uh, that opportunity that I got early on. No, it's, it's, it's the attitude of gratefulness, right? The attitude of uh, I'm not entitled to anything. I've still always got to work hard. Uh, I always say if you're going to want to be in security, you can't, want, you, you can't be, you know, if I take a football analogy, you can't be a wide receiver. You can't be a cornerback. You're almost, you've got to be like the offensive tackle or guard, right? You're kind of in that position where if the quarterback gets sacked, you can play perfect all game long. But if on fourth and five, you know, the defensive end gets past you and you're to tackle and sacks the quarterback. And because of that, you lost the game. No one's blaming the quarterback. No one's blaming the wide receivers. Everyone's looking at you. You're getting the full blame. And cyber is very much similar to that, right? You don't get, you know, you're only judged for the last play. 
Yes, uh, you cannot rest on your laurels. You're right. just as good as you could be. You could have everything, all the basics right, everything patched. But then the next day, some vulnerability is discovered, and right. now you, yeah. So yes, you're just as good as your last success, and it's a it's a process that never ends. Security never ends. It's a process, and you have to be willing to accept that. Indeed. Let's talk a little bit about you know, kind of the skills you think CISOs need to have to really excel across an organization. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's a, the CISO is a bundle of skills that when you line them up, it sounds very difficult, almost impossible. So you got the, you got to understand security, right? Whether it's app security, the operational side or the GRC side, you got to understand, you know, what, what, what does it take to have a secure a corporate environment that that takes years. I mean, we're all it's it's a constant learning, and then you have the other aspect, the business side, where the business side doesn't speak technology, not necessarily, unless you work for a technology company. Uh, they don't understand security and vulnerabilities, so you have to be able to communicate uh, to your board, to your leadership team, why security is important, and you know, why they should make an investment because there's always this inertia of why do we, why are we investing in security? Like, can we cut less? Why do we need it? You're constantly having to justify why you need, you know, uh, a security budget. You, you, it's a common trope, right? And, and you see memes of in LinkedIn or people complaining, I don't have a large enough budget or it's, I'm so relieved when my budget gets approved. It's always like a Hail Mary pass when, you know, when trying to make, get your budget approved. And I think part of the challenge there is that's the skill, being able to communicate clearly why security is important. I always tie it back to uh, things that matter to the business. Uh, you're minimizing risk, legal risk, operational risk, financial risk. There's reputational risk that's on the line. Um, it could impair your ability to operate and, and, and be a business. So always tying it back to real risk and then trying to quantify, hey, this is how much it could cost. If you don't, if you don't, invest in your security program. This is, you know, these are the issues that could emerge. And, and so being able to talk the business side of things, not just the technology, you got to be able to talk to the engineers because they're the ones doing the work, talk to the, you know, security analysts, talk to consultants, but also take it higher up into your, your colleagues and the leadership and be able to speak the business side of things as to why it matters. That's really hard to do. Even I find myself sometimes struggling to, What's a clear message that frames why security is important? That's that's a that's a constant process. So being able to do both, I think, is really hard. It's really hard for for most people, including myself. You have to work at it. Yeah, there's there's a business IQ that's needed with what you just talked about, right? There's also a uh, and I, and 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 I hate to phrase it like this, but there's also the understanding the internal and company dynamics and politics. When you go about security, you, you almost have to understand who kind of sets the tone. And, you know, in a lot of organizations, that's not always the CEO, right? It could be someone who the CEO is brought in, who's kind of, you know, the right hand person to that CEO, who's really the person in charge, who's really calling the shots behind the scenes. Um, and, and you've got to understand the dynamics of the different power players within an organization to really get it. Um, completely agree. Let's talk a little bit about security. I think there's there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on in security. You're you're you know kind of in the first year and eight months. Let's talk a little bit about um, how long did it take you to understand what you were doing as a CISO from the moment you kicked off? How long did it take for you to really wrap your head around the entire responsibility? So it started in 2018. Uh, we're a relatively small company, so I got a lot of hands-on work early on and, and sort of seeing what the surface area looks like. So right. I got that early on. If I had come here uh, as a CISO without that institutional memory, um, I think it would probably take you, all CISOs would probably take a three to six months just to get a sense of what's going on, what the surface area is, what what's the dynamics, uh, the culture you're going into because there's a culture aspect you're going to have to uh, change. It's not just the, tech the technicals, the people as well, the processes. How are things being done? So I would say three to three to six months uh, should be enough to get a sense of what, what kind of what the size of the problem that you may have. And um, the one thing that I'm really good at is getting the basics. 
Um, if you don't have the basics, and I'll get to that, what that I, what I think the basics are. If you don't have the basics right, your program is not going to scale. You're not going to be able to add more people to it or add more processes to it as the business ex- expands. And you, what you'll see is you'll you'll have a lot of legacy issues if you don't get the the base level, uh, the basics right. And then you'll just buy solutions in the future, hoping to taper over some of the gaps that you may have. So to me, the basics are key. And to get the basics thing, you don't have to be a CISP. You don't have to have 10 years of experience. It's just common sense, right? And then understanding who can't get in, you know, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the systems. And what do I put around it to ensure those three things? So you don't have to be like a even super super smart to do that or extremely experienced. Those are basics, you know, you know, lock the door at home, right? That's a very basic concept. Extend that to the digital and the processes and the people. And so to me, getting the basics is key. If you don't have the basics in, um, the, the program will always have issues down the line, maybe for the future CISO, maybe it won't affect you, but it'll impact. So a lot of the things sometimes you face as well as a new CISO is the mistakes of the past Sometimes, you know, you're the one who inherits it and then maybe it's from, from years past. So be ready to, to, to you know, to go through that challenge. Uh, but I would say getting the basics right is important. Otherwise, the program won't scale and you're not going to, the program won't mature either. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. When you talk about the basics and the foundations, um, you know, there's there's a common misconception with, what I think people understand as uh, foundational basics, uh, foundational security measures to basic security measures. You know, to me, there's the foundation, which is, you know, your policies and your controls. And then there's the basic security principles. That's more of the tools that support the foundation. When you look at your foundation, what what what, what do you see as being kind of um, um, critical to get right right away? The leadership needs to support what you do. It, they can't just pay lip service to it. It's got to come from the top because that influences the culture. Culture comes from the top. So early on, I, I noticed that I needed uh, sponsors, or senior leadership who I knew had influence to help me drive the, the program itself, the controls we were going to roll out, all the things we were going to implement because the culture is part of it. And if they know that leadership cares, if end users care about security, that the CEO is concerned about it, they're more likely to uh, accept some of the changes and it'll make sense. Whereas if, if you don't have the support of leadership, you're just a guy you know, screaming fire, fire, but people won't take it seriously. And I saw I saw that behavior early on. I needed leadership's um, influence to drive some of the changes we were going to push for. So you need that um, wh- whoever the influences influencers are at the company, they need to be behind and and give you that support. Otherwise, it's not going to be as effective. So and then th- that determines the culture, the level of risk you're going to take, how much you know. Uh, risk uh, can be accepted or not accepted. And then the level, the actual controls you'll choose ultimately. Uh, But it starts from the top. And that's not always the case. Not not every CISO is fortunate to have people, senior leadership that care about security, but that's important. Otherwise, it starts from the top. Otherwise, it's not going to be successful. Talk a little bit about where you spend the most time as a practitioner. What aspect of of the business do you spend the most time on and why? So it depends. It depends on the stage. When we were first building the program, uh, it was working on the vision, what needs to be in place, what are the gaps, and then implementing. So the day-to-day was a lot of project management work to make sure we had the basic controls in place in improving processes. So a lot of blocking and tackling early on because you needed to stand up the defenses. Once you have the, the basic framework in place and the basic controls in place, then it's about, you know, building a system that generates data so you can then make decisions, report to the board, report to the CEO, to leadership, and understand how, 
you know, the data can guide your decision making. So right now I look a lot, a lot of, a lot of data to understand, Hey, what's hitting us? What's, what, what's changing so I can then, imp, you know, adapt the program. So, and then that's that. The other one is uh, security awareness training, you know, the, building that cultural aspect. Now that we have the, you know, the foundational things we discussed culture, that's a slow moving ship that, that that's constant um, that you have to do a lot of work saying security is important once a year at a town hall is not proper communication. It's an ongoing thing. And then I also try to understand the, uh, where the business is going and how is the program and our systems adapted for that. Right now we have a new architecture of remote anywhere, right? A lot of companies are just beginning to grapple with that. So understanding the threat landscape and where the business is going and then how am I suited for, for that future. So a lot of planning and then, you know, reviewing what's being done with, with, with the data that we have now. Yeah. I think there's, there's often a uh, misconception around what a CISO really does, right? There's a, there, there's a, uh, almost a, a place where people think that all you do is, uh, uh, sit and go, are we being attacked? Great. Here's what everyone needs to do. You firewall, you APIs, you, and then that's not really what, what CISOs do at all. In fact, you know, that's, that's kind of almost very exaggerated. It's, you know, you talked earlier about memes and I love the memes that, you know, where it says, you know, what friends think I do when I say cyber and what I really end up doing. Right. And everyone thinks, you know, you're doing five different things, but really what are you doing? You're staring at a screen all freaking day long, most of the time, or, or, or having conversations and, and you're, you're kind of in that, um, you don't really get to the uh, nitty gritty part of security as often as you'd like to, uh, partially because of the responsibilities that come along with a role that has chief in it, right? It's, it's, it's you know, the moment you've got a C in your uh, title, you're, you're, you're pretty much in a, in, a, in, a, in a different concrete level. You know, when you look at, you know, security as a whole from a challenge perspective, you know, there's, you know, I want to, I like to keep this show upbeat, right? I don't like to talk about the threat landscape and everything we're doing bad. I think there's enough people out there doing that and they want to talk about all the things that are just wrong in the industry. We do a lot of really, really good things. So what are some of the good things you're seeing happening in the industry? The no, I'm glad you, you want to keep it constructive. Uh, the, the shift away from... You know, the, the pandemic showed leadership teams that the path forward is where you have a remote, decentralized workforce. It showed you that this model that Google came up with, the Beyond Corp, a number of years ago, that that's really the, the way forward in, in the cloud in the cloud world. So I like that the world is moving towards a place of not having to figure out to secure on-premise uh, infrastructure, legacy infrastructure. And as you go to the cloud, then then it becomes much easier to manage because all you have to worry about is maybe APIs or access controls. And then once you're at the application layer, everything is getting abstracted to the application layer. It's much, it's much easier uh, to do analytics on it, to do intelligence on it, to try to figure out what your gaps are. So I like that the I like that the world is moving towards, you know, the cloud app first, you know, cloud first, not, it's not, there's challenges to it, but to me that, that, that makes it easier because now that you have systems that give you centralized analytics and then to help you adapt, we didn't have that in the past. You had decentralized systems or all these systems, all these silos that weren't talking to each other. Once you start to put them in the cloud, now you can just start to audit them and, and, and sort of guide your decision-making using data. I like that. I like the path of uh, biometric authentication. So now it's, it's still relatively early on, but to me, you know, passwords are like the original sin of the internet. They weren't meant to be uh, secure, right? Passwords get hacked all the time. So to the extent that you can move on the continuum of a more convenient and more secure, the better. So uh, biometric authentication uh, architectures to me will be very important 
as we authenticate into these cloud systems. Not, it's not perfect. There's no solution out there. Um, no, I, I, it's funny you say biometrics because um, I am a, um, I'm, I'm a proponent of one style of biometrics. And that one style is that I don't store your biometrics, right? That your biometrics are stored the very much the Apple version of doing biometrics, right? Apple doesn't have anyone's biometrics. Anyone who thinks that the reason you can put your phone on airplane mode and still unlock it with your face is because it's stored on your device, not anywhere else. Apple doesn't have access to it. Apple simply has put the technology in the OS on your device. I'm very concerned, though, about biometrics that are not device-based. And I think that here's the here's here's where I would push back on you. And I kind of like this because I think we're, we're about to get into a good part, good, good debate here, right? Which is... Um, with a password, if someone gets your password, I can change it. I can, you know, change your rules. I can say, you're right, you're going from 13 characters to 16. And, you know, we're not going to use a password. We're going to use a passphrase. And, you know, we're going to have you do MFA and your MFA has got to be a specific way. Right. And I think those are all very legitimate. But if I store your biometrics and whenever someone tells me the word encryption, I laugh in their face because I'm like, a we're, we're, we're mere years away from quantum destroying any traditional encryption model that you've got. So unless you're, you're giving me a special types of t- special type of encryption and key management system, I trust that about as much as I trust encrypting my S3 bucket. Right. And so if I can't change your face, Alejandro, I can't change your fingerprint. The moment a threat actor has access to that and people think that, you know, if people look at the engines behind biometrics, it's really a calculus. So if I'm able to inject code that has the calculus of your biometrics, I don't even need to show your face. I can just really trick the software into reading your face. To me, those are those are um, those are specific threats within um, non-device-based biometrics that make me question that technology. I agree. I like the Apple model of biometrics, storing it on the device level, at the client level, not in some centralized, you know, server where kind of like passwords are, right? The hashes of passwords are stored. I don't agree with that because that's just a huge point of failure uh, that you've, you know, you're trusting a party that they'll keep it safe. And we know we don't, right? That's the reason, you know, people, companies are getting hacked, portals are getting hacked. So I agree. It is, it is not a silver bullet uh, to the extent because it, if it gets compromised, then now I have access to, you know, whatever your face has access to. So I like keeping that at, at the encrypted with the, you know, uh, at the device level, not, not storing it anywhere else. And it's got to be, you know, in, in conjunction with maybe other device-based signatures. It can't just be your face that unlocks it, right? Um, it can't, right, because otherwise it's a huge point of failure. I agree with you. I think that's where the world ultimately will move to uh, using biometrics, but it, it's not a silver bullet. Um, I agree with that because of the, the yeah. risk that you mentioned. See, I think that biometrics are going to be, see, and, 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 and it's okay because I think we have two different visions, but I think we kind of see the same thing. Um, at the end of the day, the more complex we've made things. So think of car keys, right? Think of like the fob keys early on. If your fob key failed, that was it, game over, right? Same thing with your uh, with your magnetic cards at a hotel. How many times have you had to like, when you need to get in your room, when you're exhausted, when you're tired, all of a sudden your room key doesn't work. You got to go back to the lobby to get to get the key redone for 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 your room. And I think the same applies with biometrics. Now Microsoft with the Windows Hello, right? That actually is device based, and I think mm-hmm. Microsoft integrating that further and further further within the Microsoft ecosystem really has some validations, especially across Active Directory, right? Because if it's device-based and and I already authenticated that device in my Active Directory and you can't get access to the biometrics, I've really added a security layer. I've not created a new attack surface. I think, like you said, the the, uh, portal-based, web cloud-based biometrics, I think that's a recipe for disaster, right? That's that's a that's a complete recipe for a disaster. I think it's got to be client based, right? It's got to be device based, and 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 that's um, um, 
Um, that that's one of the the, the bigger uh, bigger things there, right? Yeah, I'm a fan of client based, um, device based signatures where you have only authorized devices touch your stuff. That's 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 a supplement to that. So you wouldn't be able to authenticate unless you're on an authorized device that's accounted for and that we can quickly disable and then not let you in. So it's uh, these are all layers you can add in, in the authentication process without making things inconvenient or extending the surface, like you said. Right, because that's, that's a brilliant point. You just nailed it on the head, Alejandro, making it without making it inconvenient, right? Because inconvenience, the convenience of a user to use a specific set of security tools, right? I have a firm belief in security, right? I think security should be invisible to the user. I think security should be something that a user doesn't even know it's there, but it's there. Yep, that's the best. Because otherwise, if you make it super, this is more on the cultural things and maybe the things that if you're you're not thinking about the user experience, uh, you'll create issues. Users, if it's too inconvenient, they'll try to get around it. They won't, you'll create shadow IT use cases if you make it impossible for them to do their day-to-day job. So it's got to be behind the scenes. And so that's one, every time we roll out any controls, I always try to map out the user experience impact uh, because that's an important factor in, in compliance. If it's, if it's impossible for them to use it, it's not going to work. I love that, Alejandro. The, 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 the idea of shadow IT exists in so many orgs. Right. I can't tell you how many times I'll be on a call with a security team, right? A vendor we're vetting in the business or uh, someone who's a, who's a client of ours. And, you know, we're doing the security call and they go, oh, yeah, our guys can't do any of this stuff. And I was like, so how do they work? They're like, well, they manage. And I was like, no, they found a different way to work that you don't know about yet. But you'll surely find out about it at some point because you're going to have an incident and it's going to be the result of that. And that's going to be directly your fault. Right. You've got to account for it. I think that's one of the aspects also of biometrics. You know, when someone steals our passwords, I don't have the trust issue with my employees. I don't have the trust issue with my team. Right. I'm like, hey, everyone, passwords have been, you know, hash passwords were breached. We're sending out a notice to everyone to reset their passwords. It's going to come in the next, you know, 15 minutes to everyone. Please reset your passwords. These are the, you know, what we recommend you do and use a passphrase and not just a password, right? And you go about your day and there's no loss of trust. There's nothing. Everyone resets their password. Life goes on. I think when it comes to biometrics, the trust aspect from our users within the company is much more significant. If you've ever been in a company where you've had employee PII exposed, and you've ever gone to one of those town halls, I've been a viewer in some of those. <laughs> Ugly town halls, man. No one wants to be in it. Why don't you guys protect our PII? Who did this? Who's responsible for this? My information's out there now. I could be a victim of fraud. Now, imagine if that's your biometrics. And imagine as we move further and further into biometrics, now I can, you know, because of the way biometrics engines engines operate and i think that's what everyone thinks is a biometric engine is almost like uh uh what's it called um that tom cruise movie what am i forgetting here in the i know i know what you're saying uh yeah, right? minority report minority report where it scans yeah. your face so pe- people don't understand you're a math major so you absolutely get this right the technology that scans your face is doing mathematics it's then using those mathematics mathematics take two <laughs> mathematics to indicate that this formula matches this formula, hence this is the user, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. It's all it's doing. It's a simple math formula. Simple as much as possible. There's different variants to it. But like we figured out the Google algorithm, like we figured out all the different social media algorithms, this algorithm too shall be discovered, right? And once it is, and I understand the math aspect of it, once I get those biometrics, I'm able to duplicate that math equation and fool the system. With I can put my face and say I'm Alejandro, and if I know Alejandro's biometrics, I can inject that, and bam, I'm in, right? And now I'm authenticated, and I'm in a very, very trusted system. And, and I think that's the challenge there, and, and I think that beats it over the head, right? But it's so critical that it's client side, client side, client side. I've had so many people pitch me. 
hey, you want to do biometrics? We store it in the cloud and it's all encrypted. And I'm like, get out. <laughs> yeah, I think a, um, a simple model for this is decentralized versus centralized. Right. We've been doing centralized security for decades. I mean, it, it's so ingrained in, in, in the way we do things, it's, it's, we don't even think about it. But if you're putting something in the cloud, uh, you're, you're trusting that party to keep it secure. You, I mean, there's a shared model in the cloud where you have to, there's responsibility. But if, it's, if a vendor has access to it in their portal, you're trusting that they're following their practices to the T and that an incident won't happen. So yes. Even if it's yours, would you trust having all of your employee and client biometrics on your server somewhere in the cloud? No, 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 no. So it's it's the same thing. I, <laughs> I don't. I think anyone, no one, I think would, would, would say, yeah, I'm sure I'm happy to, you know, to certify that. I love your no, no thing. You're like, no, 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 no. You know that TikTok thing? Oh, no. Oh, no. Right? Like, like that's exactly what you were like. No, I don't want that on my cloud. No, don't you bring that anywhere near me. You keep that shit right over there. You don't even bring it in here. Kind of, uh, kind of discussion. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I agree with you about biometrics, by the way, right? But I think biometrics is going to be the new MFA. I don't think it's going to replace passwords. That's my theory, right? I think there's always going to be passwords because that's one unique aspect. And I think MFA is going to end up being your biometrics. I yeah, think I, it's be your I agree. For authentication. I agree. And I'm a fan of conditions, adding different conditions that are yep. behind the scenes. And, and that's really the, the layers. Um, to, so that, that's really the difference. And so it's a great point. I agree. I love it, man. I love how you and I can just get right into that and, and, and kind of have that conversation. I think that's so critical um, is so much. There's um, so many aspects of this that are misunderstood, right? Everyone wants to replace passwords, but, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can't really replace them. It's kind of like a tire on a car. Like we'd all love tires that don't, lose air right that are you know that but guess what you can't move a car without tires and we don't have a technology yet that's as efficient as disposable um and as long term than tires we don't that doesn't exist right so we're stuck with tires and every once in a while you get a flat but and, and the same is with passwords you know you can't go anywhere without them i don't think we can replace them i think every move um I think every move um, on 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 trying to move away from passwords, every time I've seen someone go that route, they've always come back and said, yeah, that's not going to work. Because there are specific things where in the user experience, where in the different working conditions that you can't help it, you've got to have a password. Does that make sense? I agree. Not every... Biometrics won't solve every use case that requires authentication. You have APIs that require authentication. You have service accounts, right? They, they don't have a face. Um, so there's other ways of authenticating there. But I agree, even with user, if it's a human logging in, there might be a use case where the password is required. So at that point, you just have to improve on it. Strong passwords, maybe rotate them, MFA, have a password manager, that sort of basic things that yeah. you know we all know. I agree. I, I love it. It's it's fun to have this kind of forward-facing discussions. I think these are critical conversations that we all need to be having because there's aspects to it. And I think there's 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 specific takeaways that we got to have when we look at all these different new technologies that come in. It's kind of like a single sign-on, right? Mm -hmm. All these different single sign-on stuff to me. Um, um, I, I look at it now and I go, well, I'm so glad you know, if you're an Azure shop, if you're if you're an AD, well, I don't need any anything else right now. I can essentially set, like you said, the conditional rules within Active Directory with federated access and be good with it. Yeah, single sign-on is another thing that is a double-edged sword, like uh, biometrics. You got to do it right because one, once you're authenticated, you have access to everything. So <laughs> make sure that entry, that first entry point is uh, well, has a high assurance. Yeah. So we're about to wrap up today's episode. So time to go to my favorite part of the episode, the CISO Insight Round. We're going to put you on the hot seat, Alejandro. Okay. My buzzword graveyard. What word are you put burying in my buzzword graveyard? What uh, a word that I don't like hearing. Yeah. What's one buzzword you'd love to bury forever? Uh, biometric authentication. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. Um, that's, that's, um, 
The, I don't know. Honestly, I'm stumped by this. Let me think about it. Um, I don't, that's going to be hard. I do, you have, do you have any buzzwords that are like on your spam filter? So if you get an email with this, just one word, you never even see the email. I mean, I, I have all sorts of things in there. I don't want to get into it. Uh, the, uh, I hate it when the, let me, let me, uh, give you this answer. Not necessarily buzzwords, but a way of selling uh, where the vendor doesn't even try to figure out what you're doing or why their service is even applicable to me. They mm -hmm. just give you some random, is security important to you or whatever? Or are you trying to do whatever vertical and security? We have a solution for it without like just without even, you know, realizing that maybe I'm not a, a, a customer, potential customer. So I would say that that's something that I, I'm, I'm annoyed at seeing. Uh, just all these solutions that claim to be, after the latest hack, our solution would have done this to prevent this. And I, I mean, I, I, that's just marketing. I don't think that would have, you know, security is not one solution. Maybe that's a buzzword. Solutions are not, you know, security is a process. It's a... It's a whole framework. It's not one solution. There's no silver bullets. So maybe the concept is the buzzword for me. Security as a solution. It's a it's a whole process. That's not one thing that'll that'll save you. I, I completely agree. Talk to uh, what's uh, one technology that'll change the way we do cyber. Two things, AI. You know, you hear a lot about that. It may automate a lot of the things we do. You know, you have a machine learning algorithm that could do pen test defended uh, detection. So that's, that's, that's a well understood, I think, uh, path, how AI, maybe it's not clear, maybe it's too far into the future, but at some point AI will automate um, a lot of maybe the detection. I mean, we already see it with things like CrowdStrike, right? It's using machine learning to look at behavior. Um, the other one is, and, and I'm still, this one's diametrically opposed to it. It's completely different. The central, the decentralized, architecture uh, to doing technology. So, you know, you hear a lot of things like Bitcoin with crypto, like that's the finance application to it. But a decentralized architecture of doing things right now, it's very nascent, very early. It's not very efficient. But to me, there's something there that no one in security is talking about. Um, even the name, right? Crypto is encryption, right? We, we live in encryption. Security people, we, we think about encryption a lot. And the architecture is different in the sense um, when you add more computing power to a network in a traditional sense, it gets faster where you're able to scale it, right? In, in a blockchain, adding more computing power is for making the network more secure. Right. So more, more compute gives you more security. That architecture, I don't have it fully fleshed out in my mind, but there is something there that'll change the way we do security. It's very early. It's less than 10 years old, but that's something that I'm, I'm sort of, I have in my radar uh, because it, it's totally different than the way we've been doing uh, computing in the past 30 years. I can, I can dig that. I like that. What's the current book you're reading or the last book you read? The last book I read is the, um, the, the, is I forgot the term. It's by uh, an Arctic explorer in the 19th century. He uh, Shackleton. He was the first one that crossed Antarctica on foot with his team. Now they were gonna. They were the first explorers to do that. Now their 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 whole saga was a total failure. Right? They, they all failed. They lost half their crew. They lost their boat. But they were able to survive. And so it's a story about survival against impossible odds. Uh, so the, the story of Shackleton, the great uh, explorer, that's something that I recently read. It's a, it's a great book if you want to, you know, the worst thing, you know, Murphy's Law personified in that story. In security, sometimes it feels like Murphy, Murphy's Law applies to you when, when things go wrong. So that was, a, that was a great book that gave me perspective. I love it. What's uh, your favorite music? You know, I like just... Nothing specific, just pop, whatever's in the radio, nothing, no specific genre, just whatever catchy tune. 
So what are you streaming now? Are you watching anything on Netflix? Any movies, I did. Any shows? What did you watch last? Um, uh, Netflix, cocaine, uh, The Cocaine Cowboys. Okay. Netflix. I'm not sure if that's appropriate, so maybe you want to cut no, that no, out. No, it's fine. I don't yeah. want to cut it out. It's what you watched. The It's a great story about, you know, the uh, drug trafficker scene in Miami in the yeah. 80s. It's it's like one of the top 10 uh, right now streaming in Netflix. It's a great story. Uh, you wouldn't believe what they got away with. Uh, so many twists and turns in the story. It's a great it's a, it's a great documentary. Yeah, uh, I love those documentaries where they go and they grab these guys 20, 30 years later, you know, and they're all old and they're trying to little, little, you see their eyes light up with a little bit of life, remembering all the crap they used to do. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting story. Just it's a nice uh, foreign uh, documentary. Yeah. So what are what is the, your top prediction for cyber this year in 2021? The uh, the world, I think, is realizing boards, the government, that we have a huge cyber problem that we've underinvested. So you'll see huge spend by corporations, the government in cyber to try to shorten the gap. Um, more remote work, more decentralized remote work. That's the future. So I predict that. Uh, leadership teams and boards will get smarter about security. It's no longer just something in that you, it's not like just an IT span that you forget about. It's something that could disrupt your business. So I think uh, more uh, spent towards that and understanding that security now is part of the conversation because uh, a lot of companies that hasn't been now it is. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Alejandro, thanks for taking the time to be with us today, man. I really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. Um, getting to hear your journey of breaking in is should really inspire a lot of people. In the short period of time, what you've accomplished, very few have. Um, and, and that makes you a, uh, a trailblazer. And now we're all looking up at you and making sure you succeed, buddy. So we're all, we're all vying for your success in your role and keep, keep doing what you're doing, which is absolutely amazing. It's great to see that. Um, Thank I'm you. Always, I'm always happy to see other people succeed, kind of highlighting their success and their story because I think that's so important. I appreciate it. For all of those tuning in, Alejandro, how can people get in touch with you? What's the easiest way? Just find me on LinkedIn, Alejandro Orellana. At you know, just look me up, and you'll you'll find me there. We'll post a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes, so you guys can grab it there as well. Um, Alejandro Orellana, folks, one of the uh, up and coming CISO voices in our industry. And we're so excited to be able to have him here on the CISO Talk podcast. Please make sure to subscribe. Please make sure to uh, uh, follow us on all of your favorite social media networks. Daily content is here every single day. So you can catch that until next week. Well, we'll have another CISO Talk podcast. Have a great rest of your day, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you may be listening to this. Make sure to subscribe five stars and we'll see you next time. Till then, stay cyber safe, folks. Cheers. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.